Victory. Hey, today is an amazing day. Hey, real quick, we got the entire Victory family with us. So let's welcome Victory Hamilton Mill, Victory Midtown, Victory Online here uh, around the world. We even got people from Colombia, Venezuela, and Bahamas. What is up, Bahamas? We're gonna do a work exchange program, and uh, I'll, I'll be there for a little bit, live streaming back to here, but uh, no, hey guys, uh, we're so glad everybody's here. We are in the second week of our series that we're calling Dear Church, and here's the idea for this. We're acknowledging what the Apostle Paul wrote about thousands of years ago, back in 1 Corinthians 4.15, where he said, we just have to acknowledge we have not many fathers. He said, there's a lot of biology happening, not a lot of spirituality happening. Because what fathers do, fathers impart, fathers sow into, fathers equip, fathers raise up, and fathers send out. And what Paul says is, we have not many fathers. But here's what we're also acknowledging is, we do have fathers, but we just don't have many of them. And so here across all the campuses, can we just, I know, we're, I know it's not Father's Day, but just one more time, can we give it up for the fathers that we do have? Biological fathers, blended family fathers, adoptive fathers, especially spiritual fathers. And that's what we're diving into here over the course of this series. We're really doing something that we haven't done before here at Victory. We're taking a handful of weeks and I'm inviting men in. And here's the qualification for the men that I'm inviting in. They are men, they are biological fathers, and most importantly, they are spiritual fathers and long-term, not just long-term, but decades long, I'm talking about gray hair, decades long pastors who not only loved Jesus's church, but still love Jesus's church and still have hope for Jesus's church. And so I'm inviting them to come in one at a time over the next now five weeks forward and basically deliver their dear church life letter to us. Because I believe this, and hopefully this is something we can all get on the same page about. I believe that we still have a lot left to learn from the older generations. Come on, can we, can we agree with that? I believe that we have a lot. I'm, just, I'm talking about like capital, a lot left to learn from the older generation. So today is a day that I've been looking forward to literally for years and years and years because today I get to invite to this platform somebody that I've been trying to find a way to get him to this platform. So Victory across all of our campuses, Victory Midtown, would you stand up to your feet? Victory Hamilton Mill, stand up to your feet. Victory Norcross, let's stand up to our feet and let's welcome to the platform my father. Don't take a seat. It's uh, important for you to know this is what a Presbyterian looks like. <laughs> Sit down. And I am a Christian. <laughs> hey, just so we're all on the first name basis, uh, this is Ron Bowie. And uh, Dad, I'm, I'm, I'm really excited. I'm really glad to have you with us because I do believe what I say, that we have a lot left to learn from the older generations. And I know you still have a lot left to give. And so I'm excited about just for the next few minutes uh, that we get to hear from, you, from your heart. Um, so just as we're kind of breaking the ice, um, I, let, let, me, let me ask you a handful of just kind of quick questions. So uh, you've always been an avid reader my entire life. So growing up, um, you were always reading a book across the entire spectrum of, of really books available. But now that you're kind of in this kind of quasi-retirement 
you know, season, uh, you, you're probably, probably read more than anybody that I know. Like, for real, like, you're, you're reading, like, multiple books a week sometimes. So would you just, what is, what is the book that's on your nightstand right now? What are you reading right now? An exciting book. <laughs> it's a cross-cultural book, uh, something that I think helps all of us get to know everyone who is not like us better. Uh, I'm reading right now uh, Daniel J. Brown's book called Facing the Mountain. It is a story of the Japanese-American plight between 1900 and on up through the end of World War II. And it's an amazing story of how uh, those who were at that time in a minority in this country going through what the country was in World War II uh, suffered such discrimination from our country. And it helps me better understand what people go through. And in this particular book, Daniel Brown, it, it's, it's a nonfiction. Uh, speaks about how uh, the Japanese-American community survived those years of internment. And also how so many of the young Japanese-American men and women volunteered for service in the, in the military, particularly the Army. And as I got into the book, I was amazed about the character, the integrity, the tenacity, uh, the desire to uh, not, not dishonor the ancestors uh, in their family and their lives. And these young men and women, as they were shipped overseas, either to the European and Africa uh, theaters and into the South Pacific, into uh, that particular area of the world, which was really, really horrible, how they became one of the most uh, decorated military units in military history. The 442nd uh, Regimental Combat Team, all Japanese-Americans uh, who were in Italy, uh, France, Germany, and then the uh, 552nd uh, Battalion of Artillery that accompanied them. Uh, when, when you look at their accomplishments, it is really humbling. And to look at how once the war was completed, they came out and became leaders in their families and particularly their children became leaders in this country. And it's just an amazing read. It's called, again, Daniel Brown Facing the Mountain. If you like to read, it's a good book. There we go. Yeah. I've always loved the, the spectrum that, that you read from. So um, you were in ministry for over 30 years. I mean, you're still in, in a form of ministry, full-time ministry for 30 years. Um, I'm sure just like, just like myself, I'm sure you've got a handful of stories, um, um, highs and lows and funny moments and things like that. So what's, what's one of your best ministry moments, if you could call it that? One of the great privileges that an uh, ordained person has is to be able to conduct certain things in the church, and one of those is baptisms. And baptism is a high point for me, and has been for years. In uh, Johnson City, Tennessee, it was my first or second baptism, and I'd gone out to talk to a family who had a, like a three-year-old and a four- or five-month-old uh, child. And in the Presbyterian tradition, we, we baptize infant, uh, have infant baptism. Uh, I generally, whomever came up, I, I poured. I've always poured. So people got wet from the top to the bottom. 
when I did this, but I was talking to the parents about what I was doing, why I would do it, how I would do it, when I would do it, and the little three-year-old was there nodding his head. I asked if there are any questions. No. Well, Sunday comes, and they all come forward, and we have the baptismal font. We don't have the big tank that you get down into, but the little font, and uh, the little boy was uh, up here in his mother's arms, and she kind of leaned him in, and I pulled up the water to get ready to pour on his head, and he went, don't get my hair wet. (laughs) (laughs) Plus, one more quickie. When we went to Israel with with, uh, Victory five years ago, I went down to the Jordan, the baptism site for uh, Jesus. Uh, Barbara was baptized there. Barbara's my wife of 55 years. She sits right up here. Love of, love of my life. Uh, but Johnson got to baptize her, and so that was a very special moment. So um, what, one more kind of introductory question. So you, you said that you get this question a lot, so now's your opportunity to tell everybody. Crowd favorite question. What was Johnson like when he was growing up? And part B question is, why am I your favorite child? <laughs> This is where Johnson leaves for five minutes and then he can come. As you've heard from uh, Johnson's lips, Johnson was born about uh, 18 months after Barbara and I lost our third child, a stillborn uh, little boy named Joshua. And so Johnson comes along, and when he was born, uh, the doctors and nurses in the delivery room, those of you who've been in there, there's this chart where you measure I guess, how healthy the child is initially by the color of the child. And Johnson uh, was about as pink as he could be, poor little baby. And the doctor said, we can't give him a 10, but we'll give him a 9.5. And we knew something was wrong then. (laughs) Because it really (laughs) set the stage for how active a little child he was going to be. And just for y'all who don't know Johnson a lot, uh, I have 42 years experience of being his father, I think it is, almost. Almost. And he has been an active child, a happy child, good-natured child, inquisitive, uh, tenacious, a great friend. He still has friends that he keeps up with from high school. He's a good brother. Uh, to his older sister, Lara, who lives in El Paso, Texas, and his brother who lives in the Charlotte area of North Carolina. Uh, Johnson has always been focused. Uh, He never crawled. He walked. (laughs) And generally, he would walk through the front door. We lived on the third floor of seminary housing in Louisville, Kentucky. He walked through the door whenever it was opened on tiptoes, and he'd make a right-hand turn, and he would go down the steps. <laughs> he was hard-headed in that sense, so it was good. He always had a little spot record. But he's, he's been a fantastic son, just like his uh, sister is a fantastic young woman, and his brother, Bishop, who's also a fantastic young man, and then there's Johnson, too. Yeah. They're all right. Here, I want to hear more about me. Yeah. No. <laughs> no uh, okay, so enough about me. Um, so 
I, you know, I'm looking forward to asking you this question because I, I, every time we talk, I get a little bit more of who you are and where you came from. So I think obviously what we see before us right now is somebody who's been in ministry for a long time and 76 years old, um, coming up on 77. And it's easy to make a lot of assumptions, you know. So how, can you kind of back us up? How did we get from, from A to T? You know, how, how, did, how, how did we, how did you get from somebody who grew up in the church to actually becoming a leader in the church? Because I know maybe this would be beneficial to some of us because one of the most uh, common questions I get at the door is like, how do I know if I'm called to ministry? What are the steps I take? How, how did you get from, from, from growing up you know, inside Marshallville and Athens, and how, how'd you get from there to sitting on the stage? My dad was significant in, in my life uh, from the very beginning, and uh, mom was to dad from Tennessee, mom from Marshallville, Georgia, just south of Macon. Uh, all types of blessings came in different ways. Dad gave us, a, uh, my brother, five years younger, uh, and me, his time, he worked five and a half days a week, worked hard, came in, but he still had time to take us fishing. Uh, he, he showed me how to work on a car. He showed me how to fix concrete and pour concrete and so forth. Dad was with Chevrolet Company for uh, most of his life until his death in 1968. Uh, but, but Dad and Mom set those stages for time. They also, at, at night, would come in when my brother and I were in bed, and we would... Uh, have a time of, of telling stories. My dad used to tell stories, I think probably passed on to him about, about Buffalo Bob, which was a, a Western scene. And dad lived on a farm and he loved Western Zingre and so forth. Of the time he would uh, have prayer with us, he and mom. He would kind of rub on top of our head. Uh, he, he would uh, lead us in the Lord's Prayer. He would lead us in Psalm 23, he would read scripture to us. And that, that was really important. One of the other things that was really significant in my life is the YMCA. Maybe some of you have been part of the Y or Boys or Girls Clubs. Uh, the Y for me in Athens, Georgia, when I was growing up in the 1950s was just very instrumental. And Coburn Kelly was uh, the director of the Y who worked with the boys of all ages. And so I was in the Y from seven years old on up to 13. And uh, I was known as one of Kelly's boys, boys that uh, really had a significant influence by Kelly. He was my faith giant outside of my father and significant in my life. And my dad grew up uh, Cumberland Presbyterian, a little different branch of Presbyterianism uh, that flowed through the uh, religious cycles. And my mother was a Methodist and when we moved to Athens, Georgia in 1951. Uh, the Methodist Church was a little closer than the Presbyterian Church, and a lot of my classmates from Chase Street School went uh, to Young Harris, and that's where I met Barbara in 1951. We were in school together. What grade? Went second grade, so we've known each other. <laughs> uh, for 25, 30 years, I guess. When you look, look at that time, it's, it's, it's almost past like snapping your fingers. Uh, but I can't say I ever thought about being a pastor, you know, during all of that time. Uh, whenever the uh, altar calls, altar calls were very frequent within the Methodist church, and we had uh, theater seats like a, a pyre. 
And I would uh, always grab the bottom of my seat when <laughs> it was time to go down front. And whenever we had the pastor saying, if anybody would like to give their life to Jesus or be a missionary, and I said, no way, I'm not going to China because I don't speak Chinese. <laughs> and it, it was just ingrained. There was a great fear there. But church was always a part of my life. And church, to a great extent, has defined my life uh, and, and the person that I am today. And uh, as a young husband and father of, of Lara and Bishop, this is before Johnson came into the world, uh, my life was really empty. I had served four years in the Air Force in Utah, stateside, Vietnam era. And thank you. And it was, it was Watergate, the time of great turmoil in Washington. And at the time, I was in city planning, city management. And so, therefore, the places I looked to for security were, were crumbling all around me. And inside, I looked great. I had this beautiful wife, had this great family. And outside, I looked good, but inside, I was empty. And uh, Barbara received a birthday present from her mom uh, to go to reach out up here in Chattanooga. It's Kay Arthur's place. Kay uh, was good friends with Barbara's mom. And it was a Christian retreat weekend. And I looked at Barbara, and Barbara said, I want you to go with me. I said, you got to be crazy. Uh, and I, I literally went to Chattanooga dragging my feet the whole way. And in one of the teaching sessions, I guess there were about 100 people there, in one of the teaching sessions, Kay was uh, focused on Matthew 16. Matthew 16, verses 24 and, through 26. And she was teaching, if any wants to become my disciple, says Jesus, if any wants to become my disciple, let them deny themselves and take up the cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake will find it. And we know Jesus concludes that by saying, what does it really profit to gain the world and lose your soul? And that, that impacted me. And uh, at that moment, it was almost like there was a vision that occurred over and above and in back of where Kay was teaching. And she was, she was telling about the Romans uh, uh, squad or platoon, whatever, that came to take a person who was going to be crucified. And they knocked on the door. And that person opened the door. They saw the, the Roman cohort there, and they knew that they were dead. And they picked up their cross and they went, went to, to really become a, a sacrifice uh, for Rome. It impacted me to such a degree. I heard Jesus saying to me, Ron, it's time for you to stop being just a church member and be my disciple. Be my disciple. Uh, the dryness left, the flame began to burn. I went home, I wrote everybody what, uh, what, what happened to me. Again, this is pen and paper type days. <laughs> My brother called upon receiving the letter and said, Ronnie, are you okay? What happened to you? Are you sick? You need to see a doctor or something? Uh, my best friend got a letter and he, he never talked to me anymore. Apparently it scared him to death too. But God set me on a path for full-time service and uh, started reading the Bible for the first time, 
Some of us have Bibles all through the house, but the pages stick together. That was the way it was in my house. So I started reading the Bible, Christian literature. I prayed with deeper meaning and purpose as a director of community planning and development and a city manager at a time. I had people come into my office where I could pray with them and for them, and I could talk to them about Jesus. Our stewardship became more faithful. I was elected an officer in the church, and I was able to speak more boldly about Jesus uh, when the opportunity afforded itself. And for the first time in my life, I recognized that there was a difference in just being a church member and being a disciple for Jesus. And, and my desire for the church is that we would get beyond that pattern of just coming here on a Sunday and sitting down for an hour or wherever you are or 90 minutes and then going home. And I, I don't do this again for an entire week. But discover the joy of being a disciple 24-7, 365. And not just a church member. That affirmation came later on when uh, I really felt a call to ministry. Reading late one night in scripture, I heard a voice that kind of spoke to me as boldly as any as ever. And I was the only one in the room that said, I, you're going to be a sower of seeds for me. And that literally happened as about two years later, Barbara and Lara and Bishop. And I went to Louisville, Kentucky for a Presbyterian seminary and went through my seminary education. Actually, Johnson went too. Barbara was pregnant, but he, <laughs> that was the most active time of his life. <laughs> and uh, was blessed to serve two congregations in uh, the Louisville, Kentucky area while I was in seminary. Served a congregation for seven years in Johnson City, Tennessee. Served a congregation in Dallas, Texas for five years. Boone, North Carolina, most beautiful part of God's world, I think. And uh, the church up there blessed me, and I hope we bless them too. And then here in Georgia, we serve some on an interim basis. And God has just been faithful in everything that has been done. And we've just been blessed to be a part of this, I'll call it, ride uh, through the journey of faith. Awesome, Thank you. So one of the things I've talked about um, pretty frequently and probably will again uh, very soon is, is the power of blessing. And you, you are always a man of blessing. You're always, you know, I've talked about how the, the feel of your, your beard stubble is permanently <laughs> implanted on my forehead. Um, and how many, I mean, I, ca I can't even count how many times you've said, I love you, I'm proud of you. Like, I can't even count. So I've talked about that. Um, I've received that. I've been giving that to my sons, who it's my prayer that they would give it to their sons one day. Um, but I guess my question is, where did you get it from? And, wh and why is it important for us? I got it basically from my dad, because when, when my dad was growing up, I Apparently, he never heard his folks, Depression-era generation, say, I love you, I'm proud of you, and so forth. Uh, it was just work from sunrise to sunset, and you just out there, regardless of who you were in that time frame, you're just trying to live and make a living, put some food on the table. And uh, Dad and Mom both went out of their ways to tell my brother and me that we were special and precious and that they would always be there to help. And... Uh, I think there's a tendency when you're, you're young to take things like that for granted. 
but my brother and I realized that as we grew up that not, not all of our friends were as blessed as, uh, as we were. And then I saw this really lived out when we were in seminary. Uh, Johnson was about four years, uh, four, four months old. Now, imagine Johnson at four months old, if you will. Okay, that's enough imagination. <laughs> and uh, Barbara and I uh, had put him in his little umbrella stroller and taken him from uh, our apartment over to the administration building where we got our mail. And we were shuffling through the mail on the bottom floor of uh, a three-story three complex of offices and classrooms. And we heard a shuffling coming down the steps to our left. And it was uh, my favorite professor of all times, Dr. Arnold Black Rhodes. And he was professor of Old Testament theology, uh, Bible uh, author of uh, books in the, in the Old Testament. Uh, he came down in his uniform. He wore olive drab uh, khaki, uh, olive drab corduroy slacks. He had a camel-colored uh, blazer. He had a little heather-colored Scottish vest. He was Scott. White shirt, dark tie. It looked like he stepped out of Esquire magazine. And he saw us down there shuffling through the mail, and he walked over to us, and he said, Ron and Barbara, you know, it's amazing if a professor knows your name. Ron and Barbara, this is your little boy. Yes, sir. And he kind of came over and looked at Johnson, and he looked at us, and he said, can I pick him up? Wow, yes. So we fumbled getting the little seat belt loose. And there he reaches over to pick up Johnson, who is going <laughs> <laughs> And so Dr. Rhodes picks him up. And here's this 65-year-old icon of faith. And their gaze is locked. And he begins to hum. And he begins to kind of go up and down. And he starts turning in a tight circle, humming as he goes. Their gazes never break. And then he lifts him up. And he hands him back to Barbara. And he says, Ron and Barbara, you have a fine son. I know he'll be a blessing. Several years later, when I had been ordained in the seminary, uh, I was recommended a book called The Blessing by Gary Smalley and John Trent. This is a great book. Parents, you need to get it, you need to read it. Because in this book, uh, John Trent and Gary Smalley give five different ways of passing on the blessing if you don't know how. And they talk about, write about how it's so important, and then they give five elements of a blessing, which is a meaningful touch. We need that touch, don't we? Need that safe touch. There are too many harmful touches that come on in our society. And a spoken message that I value your value you. Uh, high value. I have plans for you. I know God is going to be working in your life and doing something marvelous with your life, and you're going to make the world a more beautiful place. Picturing a special future. 
what's out there. You're going to make a difference in the world. And the fifth element is an active commitment. I'll be here for you. You can count on me. I'm going to be around your entire life. And then I took this, and as, and as years went by, as our family grew, we would have family time, and I'd get the family together, and I would call after people shared where they were, were, were living and doing, because we lived all over the country. Uh, I would go by, and I would lay my hands on each child's head and each spouse's child, uh, spouse's head, and then the grandchildren's head, and I would say what God had laid on my heart for them. And then I found out that it, it needed to be said in the church. And for years, at, at the end of a Presbyterian uh, worship service, pastor goes down and he gives a, a blessing and a benediction. And after reading this book, I began going out uh, down the center aisle of our congregation, and I would look at different people, and I would call them by name. Because in a smaller congregation, you can do that. And I would call them by name, and I would say, you're precious, you're special. God knows you. God has a special plan for your life. And I want you to know, I'll be here, and this church will be here for you. And one day after one of the services, uh, I'd gone off to the restroom, and there was a man standing in restroom, tears coming down his face. I thought something was really wrong, and I said, what's wrong? Can I help you? And he said, no, I'm all right. He said, but today is the first day in any church that any pastor's ever told me that God loves me. And I thank you for that. And that man walked off into my memory. Jesus does this, and one reason it's important to do this in blessing is because Jesus does it. If you look at Mark chapter 10, verses 13 through 16, Mark 10, verses 13 through 16, Jesus has had a rough day, and people start bringing their kids to him, and he sits down, and the disciples are all ticked off. <laughs> but when Jesus sees this, he was indignant and said to them, let the little children come to me. Do not stop them. For it is to such as these that the kingdom of God belongs. And truly I tell you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will never enter it. And here it is. And Jesus took them up in his arms and laid his hands on them and he blessed them. He blessed them. It changes lives, it changes families, and it changes congregations to know that you're blessed. And my desire for the church in that, in that sense is that every parent in every congregation would take time for the parents to bless their children and their, and their spouses and for the pastors of a congregation to indeed bless the congregation that sits here because you're Jesus' kids and that's so important to know that your leaders are blessing you to go into that world to be a blessing wherever you are. So, you know, especially 
now, more recently over the last few years, you and I have gotten in a lot of conversations just about the capital C church, not just victory, some about victory, but the capital C church, the scope across the nations, but especially here in America, because we all know something's wrong um, in America and in, and in the church today. So, um, you know, even as I talked to Pastor Dennis, some of the, some of the older, more mature, established, decades-long pastors who have kind of seen cycles happen in the world and in the church, you know, and hearing your thoughts on that. So as you look at the church today, the church um, across, the, across the nation, what would your prayer or your thoughts be that maybe the church could, could talk about more, pray more for, do more of? There are two things I could pass along to the church because the, the first uh, really relates to us. That is, you know, realizing that there's more to life than just the life we're living and to live as a disciple. And the second one almost relates in a similar manner to us individually as, as a, being a blessing, passing that blessing on. But this is to the church right here, the church, leadership, and, and to those of us who sit in a, auditorium, sanctuary, cathedral, wherever. Uh, when I was growing up, church, uh, church was a different place. It was a fun place. But when, when it came to worship in Sunday school, it wasn't fun as a, as a kid. You know, you went into Sunday school, you sat just like you did in school. When you went into worship, you sat just like you did in school because everybody else was telling you what to do. You didn't have that fun and flexibility. But when it came to doing the fun things, that was great. We had a big yard beside the church. We'd play ball, chase, tag. And when it came to potluck dinners and suppers, we were always there. Uh, you speakers were always wonderful. But I don't remember much about being taught about sharing Jesus with others. It's the purpose of the church to put information in us, right? Give us knowledge. Fill us with the facts, put it in the head, but getting it from the head to the heart, to the mouth, and out to the world, uh, church didn't do a very good job. Church has still not done a good job on that. And I've turned to Scripture over and over. And uh, as I read God's Word, because I believe this is God's Word, I've heard people say, God never speaks to me, and I say, you just haven't opened the book. So I see opening the book as the first way that the church begins to change what's happening in our world and society. Uh, my concern is that many church leaders, as well as many of those who sit in the congregation, don't know what God expects of us. Love God, yes. Love neighbor, yes. Ah, that's where it ends. No, that's not where it ends. That's where it begins. This is where we learn how in here to go out there with what God has said God wants the world to know, and that's basically about Jesus. And it's just a cycle we get into, right? It goes beyond reading the Bible and not studying the Bible about being consistent, not depending upon devotions and all, but getting into the Bible yourself, learning how to read and study it, knowing how to apply it. And then the church often doesn't have a place where we can come so where we can explore the things that God has put in our life. And I, I think this is, this is really important for the church today. Uh, one of the important things the Apostle Paul wrote to the church uh, through Ephesus, and, and this really became my call for ministry after, after I was ordained. It's from 
Ephesians 4, uh, verses 12, 13. There's more to it, but let me read that. Ephesians 4, 12, and 13. Everybody has gifts of the Spirit, but it is to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until all come to the unity of the faith and knowledge of the Son of God to maturity, to the measure of the full stature of Christ. And you know what that means? That means that you and I grow into a likeness and image of Jesus so we can impact the world in the way that he did, healing, teaching, preaching, and also the way he lived that drew people to him. And it transformed the world. So that's my desire right there on that point. There's a second part that, that I think is extremely important, and, and that is when we begin to look at, is this all there is to church? Come in here for an hour, hour and a half each Sunday, and then going out and doing what we do the rest of the week. Uh, going to church for me has always been fun. Mom, I remember Billy Graham tell, telling a story, uh, his, his uncle telling a story that he had a drug problem. Billy Graham's uncle had a drug problem. And when, when they asked about that, he says, well, my family drug me to church on Sunday morning. They <laughs> drug me to church Sunday. That was kind of like my life. And, you know, we do have pastors, right? We pay pastors to do a job, right? Johnson gets up here and he preaches for 40 minutes each Sunday. What does he do the rest of the week? That's a joke. <laughs> what does he do the rest of the week, you know? We expect our pastors to do the ministry of Christ for us, basically. And we think it's their job, not ours. And it's always interesting to have somebody come in, right? Somebody like me, and I'm going to take up a few minutes with you and, and talk to you about faith and life. It's good to do that. It's interesting. But it leaves something lacking, doesn't it? Because there has to be more to this. I've just been really impressed by people in my life that have had an impact on me in mission, which means that I get out of here and I go somewhere. And one of those people is Bill Herring. Bill Herring is an orthopedic surgeon up in, in North Carolina in Boone, where I was, Barbara and I were for 18 years. And Bill Herring got onto me about mission as soon as I went into the church up there in 1993. And Bill said to me one day, Ron, we got to talk to people more about going out and taking the message of God uh, into the world around us. And I said, great, Bill, we'll do that over the next 10 years. He said, no, we need to start doing it now. And Bill told a story. He told a story to the church. He says, I was in Nepal one time, and uh, he used to take off about a month each, each year during his practice, and he'd go into parts of the world that didn't have good medical services. And Bill was in Nepal, he did a delicate procedure on a, a, a young person, and the Nepalese doctors were standing around him all in all. When he got through, they came up and they congratulated him, they packed him up, patted him on the back, and, and they said, you know, you must be a god. And in Nepal, you, you could not share Christianity. They have a, a national religion. And you can't share unless somebody asks you to. And Bill said, no, I'm not a God. But I can tell you about the God I serve if you want to know. 
Bill Herring had gotten out of his office. He had gone into the furthest part of the world. He had been asked to share Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. And he impacted that medical community in Nepal. Part... One, of the, one of the passages of Scripture that's impacted the ministry to which I was called for years has has been the last part of Matthew where Jesus is now resurrected. He's met his disciples on the mountain uh, just on up the road in Galilee. In Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20, he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And remember, I am with you to the end of the age. And I saw that happen in the congregation I served in Boone. I saw the blessing that they were to the community and the mission and ministry and really the evangelism efforts that took place up there. there there's a comment that someone made a long time ago about evangelism, and many of us are scared to death of the word evangelism. But it said evangelism has this definition. It is one beggar telling another beggar where to get food. We got the food, folks. We got the bread of life. It's time for us as the church to take the bread out and feed the world around us. And so it's been a pleasure, you know, for me to be with you. And if it would be okay, may I read a letter? Yeah, I... You know, I've, I don't know if I've said this before, but my, most of my life, once I moved out of the house, I got letters. So I don't know if people know what those are anymore. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think probably the first few I got on a typewriter because you didn't know how to use a computer yet. Uh, still um, <laughs> but <laughs> you were trying to you were trying to use my Mac as a touchscreen last night, right. and it's not a touchscreen. Um, uh, but. Um, <laughs> But I, I think that's such a rare thing today, right? To get a letter in the mail that somebody sat down, put thought and heart on paper, like actual paper, like real paper, and then put in this thing called an envelope and put this thing called a stamp. Most people don't even know where to get one of those anymore um, on it and wrote an address and, and cared enough to send it. And so I grew up with that. And so I would love it if you would share a letter that you wrote. Okay. As your dear church. Dear church, we have a tremendous opportunity to make an amazing impact on the world right now. In a nation and world filled with confusion, anxiety, rage, fear, helplessness, hopelessness, and often despair, we know the one who holds the world in his hands. And it is he, Jesus, the anchor of our souls, the author and finisher of our faith and the bright morning star who will securely lead us through this perilous time. Listen to his words. Keep your eyes fixed upon him. The Heavenly Father's eternal plan calls for you to be involved in bringing hope and healing to his world and creation. He trusts that you will step up and be part of this great endeavor of salvation and reconciliation. He created you and claimed you and called you and cultivated you to be his. 
He made you to be more than you ever thought you could be. He blessed you by making you in the likeness and image of his son, Jesus. He has called you daughter, son, light, salt, saint, ambassador, beloved. He prepared a community to love you and to help shape you and to mold you and teach you and to equip you to serve him and others whose lives are empty. He made you to tell others looking to fill some inexplicable emptiness in their lives that God is love. He refreshes with living water and hearty bread for your journey through life. He has prepared a mansion for you in his kingdom, a true home where there's no more pain, no more suffering, no more death, and no more tears. And you are his vessel to communi communicate this to a fractured and broken world. He has told us over and again that this great plan will be accomplished as you step out in the power of his spirit and bring this world together through Jesus. All peoples, all cultures, all races, all ages. It will never be easy, but it will be immensely rewarding. It will, however, take your persistence in trusting and obeying him and never giving up on him. And with all the words that wash over you each day and the catchy slogans and the static that attempts to confuse and distort and deflect your true purpose and meaning, pitch your ear to the words that rise above the din, words which at the meaning of life mean more than anything else in the world. Well done, good and faithful servant. Come into my presence. Dear church, Seek this blessing all your life. God bless you all. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, your friend and fellow sojourner, Ron Bowie. dad for for being here and i say it once again that i'm glad you're my dad I'm glad you're my son let's bow our heads let's pray across all of our campuses god we uh we pause and we receive blessings father i thank you that you are the god who loves to bless and not curse. The God who loves to love, the God who loves to embrace, the God who loves to forgive, the God who loves to restore. And God, you are telling a good story in our lives. Even when we look at the world around us, it may seem dark. But God, I thank you that you are still sitting on the throne. And the gospel is still good news from generation to generation to generation. You are the same. God, we thank you for beginning this love story. God, we thank you for every good gift. We thank you for salvation, that we are saved by grace through faith, or else we could brag about it. 
that we're only part of your kingdom today because we've turned from the way we were going and said yes to what you did at the cross, to forgive our sins, to make us new, to bring us into your family so today we can call you Father. And God, even though we have not many fathers, God, we say thank you for the fathers we do have. Thank you, God, for the faithful men who have loved your church, your bride, who have loved their families, who have fathered spiritually for generations. God, I thank you for the mothers who have done the same. God, today we honor those who have gone before us, and we say thank you. And God, every single one of us, what we pledge is to take up the torch, to continue on this journey and this capital T truth story in our spheres of influence, even as we leave here today. This isn't just about information. This is about transformation and becoming more like the sun wherever we go today and every day. And so may you be honored. May you be glorified by the thoughts that we think, the lives that we live, the words that we speak, where our feet carry us and what our hands are endeavoring to do. And may all the praise and the glory and the honor forevermore be to Jesus Christ and to him alone. And it's in his name we pray. And everybody said, Amen. 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 Amen.